You're listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Hello, this is Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets. This week is the sixth installment of our weekly COVID-19 coronavirus conference call with Dr. John White from WebMD and three subject matter experts from BMO Financial Group. Michael Gregory, Deputy Chief Economist, joined us, as well as Stephen Bell, Portfolio Manager and Chief Economist for BMO Global Asset Management in London, and also myself, Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist of BMO Capital Markets, sharing some market insights. Given that we are talking about medical information during this podcast, remember that if you need or desire medical advice, please directly consult your physician and or healthcare professional. John White is a popular physician and writer who has been communicating to the public about health issues for nearly two decades. Dr. White is the Chief Medical Officer at WebMD. In this role, Dr. White leads efforts to develop and expand strategic partnerships that create meaningful change around important and timely public health issues. Prior to WebMD, Dr. White served as the Director of Professional Affairs and stakeholder engagement at the Center for Drug Eval and Research at the USFDA. Also be mindful that Dr. White is an active doctor and currently sees patients in the Maryland and Washington, D.C. area. Thus, he is a frontline soldier with respect to the war on coronavirus. Here are Dr. John White's comments for the week of April 20th. I'm going to start off with what we know and, and what's kind of the latest in the past few days. So as of just a few minutes ago, the total number of cases of coronavirus globally were over 2.4 million with 166,000 deaths. In the United States, it's 760,000 cases and over 40,000 deaths. Almost half of those deaths are in New York State. An important note, if you're following this, is that how we define death has changed. It now can include probable causes of coronavirus. So that's important because if we look at deaths over time, we're actually going to see a change in categorization, which is important as we think about numbers. In Canada, there are 34,786 cases with about 1,580 deaths. The majority of cases and deaths are in Quebec and Ontario with over 28,000 cases between them and over 1,400 deaths. In Canada, there actually seems to be a flattening the curve. I've noticed sometimes on social media they call it flanking the curve in Canada, but the number of cases and the number of deaths the rate has decreased, and we're also seeing some of that in the United States. But it does differ by locality, by region, so it's important to look at that. And that feeds into the next important piece I want to talk about, which is what occurred last Thursday in the United States when the president unveiled guidance for a phased reopening, a phased reopening of the U.S. economy, leaving the final decisions to governors. It's an 18-page document. I'm going to include the link in the follow-up. 
if you don't have it, but it recommends that states have to do a couple of things. He has these regional and state gating criteria that have to be satisfied before you can proceed to a phased opening. And what you need there is a downward trajectory in the number of confirmed coronavirus cases as well as flu-like symptoms. Um, you also have to be able to have hospital capacity to treat patients without crisis care. And this is a key element. There needs to be a robust testing program in place, including antibody testing for at-risk healthcare workers before you can move to that phased reopening. And you need to have a comprehensive contact tracing plan. I'm going to talk about that. But just real quickly, the first phase urges existing measures to remain in place while you allow certain businesses, and this is just noteworthy, for some reason they include gyms specifically, so they highlight gyms to reopen if social distancing is possible. But it does still encourage telework to continue as much as possible. And if one does reopen, you need to close common areas. You also want to minimize non-essential travel and some elective surgeries could proceed. That's an important element as well if they find a certain CMS criteria. The second phase makes recommendations for states and regions with no evidence of a rebound of COVID-19, and they had to satisfy the initial criteria on cases, hospital, and testing. So you still want to have vulnerable populations shelter in place, and you want to encourage people to exercise social distancing. Um, but there they do talk about non-essential travel can resume, schools can reopen, and large venues and bars can operate if you can have social distancing. So that may mean diminished seating, and that's relevant whether restaurants and bars, especially small ones, can function with that caveat. Um, but they still continue to encourage telework. And then in the third phase, is recommended only for states that have shown no signs of a spike in cases. Um, and that would allow public interactions, visits to nursing homes to resume, and that would allow bars and restaurants to expand their capacity. You still want to have some elements of social distance when possible, but you could have large gatherings so that they would encourage to limit time. And employers could resume unrestricted staffing in the workplace. So those were announced on Thursday. A couple states have already started to talk about when they might lift guidelines. Idaho and North Dakota advised non-essential businesses to prepare for a phased reopening starting May 1st. Montana is going to begin lifting restrictions on April 24th. New York, the, the big thing there, I'll just mention, they actually updated the guidance on golf courses, saying that you uh, could open the door to public and public and private courses to open, but you'd have to walk the course and carry your own bag. You can't have a mobilized caddy. I'm just reporting it. Uh, and then in Texas, they're going to allow retail to go beginning April 24th. But what you're really seeing are governors are making regional policies, and that's important because we have forest borders between states, even between, you know, the countries in North America. So you don't want the a low incidence state to become a high incidence state because of travel. So the governors of California, Oregon, and Washington are agreeing on a regional plan to reopen the economy. 
and fight the pandemic. And on the East Coast, which has done very well, the northeastern states of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts are coordinating to reopen. There's been a lot of talk on prevalence, and even at WebMD, we've been focused a lot on how do we find out that right number. I'm going to share some of these articles. There's a lot of data in PrePub that is looking at different data sets. And one looked at CDC data of influenza-like illness estimated during a three-week period in March. And what should have been 122,000 cases were actually 8.7 million cases of coronavirus. So that's 80 times as many cases predicted using excess non-influenza, influenza-like illness. Similar study done in Santa Clara, California, based on antibody testing, estimated that infection rates are probably 75 times that of known cases, and really using some creative data analysis that we're going to see. And the reason why this is important, that I want us all to think about, how would your decisions differ if I told you that instead of 750,000 cases in the United States that of people that are infected, we had 20 million or 30 million? And that's what we're starting to look at in terms of data. Because all the talk about vaccine, and I've mentioned this before, this idea that we're going to wait to fully reopen our phase and until the vaccine is available is challenging because we know vaccine development typically does not take 12 to 18 months. Historically, has not. You can look at SARS in terms of very little progress, and then people love their attention to drug development when it, it went away. Ebola is the same thing. And... Now, in terms of treatments, and this is the whole issue why we have to have good data, why we have to have controlled trials, there's been more discussion about potential side effects of hydroxychloroquine. And what we need now is there are many different trials currently going on, but it's a cacophony, and what we really need is an orchestra and a conductor. And I think we're going to start to see more of that from the Food and Drug Administration. Because there's a problem when we have gray data where it's inconclusive, especially in the age of social media, because we have these anecdotal, anecdotal reports of treatment that appear to have worked on a small group, and they're being shown, and they're encouraging hope, but confusion about the evidence. So we need to retool, and I think we're doing that in terms of where we are in treatments, and we're certainly seeing that on antibody testing. So you all have seen a lot about antibody testing. We talk about it all the time, but we need to more effectively understand how these tests are doing. And I will point out on in New York where they're doing it, people are actually going into a lab and we're actually doing quantitative testing and measuring the amount of antibodies that they have. But what we're typically talking about on the news are these 90 companies, mainly based in China, that have created these point-of-care tests. Um, and it's a great idea, but what we're seeing is that many of the tests, and, and the administrator of FDA has said this, are frankly dubious quality. And then people aren't using them properly. Some physicians actually are using antibody tests to diagnose the disease. That's not what that's for because you can miss the early stages of infection. And the products vary in terms of their qualitative tests where they may measure a certain type of antibody. It tells you whether you have it or not. It doesn't tell you how many. It may not tell you that you actually have protection because that's what we're trying to correlate. The idea of immunity means 
protection, but it's unclear what levels are needed for immunity. So I think we're going to have more challenges with these tests and more discussion, but it's a mechanism to get back to work. And it's included in these gating criteria. While we still have to do testing in, in terms of whether a patient is infected or not. But this leads to the issue of contact tracing and the role of tech. And many of you may have seen that Apple and Google have announced this initiative to have patients that are infected to log online to uh, an app, put in that information, and it's not using location tracking. It's actually using Bluetooth. So it could notify those folks that have come into contact with you. I think this is going to be iterative. There are challenges with this. It's completely voluntary. Typically, one says we need 60 to 70 percent of people to agree to be part of this. They tried it in Singapore. Only 15 percent of the population volunteered to do it. But this is a new way of thinking about tech and how we can use technology to do the important contract tracing that we need to have more of a surgical approach using a scalpel um, to remain safe and to identify folks rather than what we're using now, which really is a sledgehammer. And what we're also learning, and this is becoming readily apparent, is we have this pandemic, um, but we have to understand the role of public health and business. That's the issue now, working from home. And how does this relate to post-COVID? How do we have innovation, as others have talked about, in, in terms of how we manage our businesses? And a big concern I have that we're starting to see is what's the mental health crisis that's coming as, as a result of this? It's, it's physical distancing, really, although we've used the word social distancing. How's that creating loneliness? How's that creating challenges? How's that impacting the most vulnerable? So I think we're going to start to see discussion of how do we address the mental health crisis, and the other social determinants of health. But what I'm actually um, optimistic about is I do think we have made tremendous progress in terms of reducing the number of cases and really flattening that curve. And despite the fact that I think we have a lot of issues of testing, and I think we'll, we'll continue in the short term, we're making progress on that, and that's important. And it's really about where we are a couple weeks from now, necessarily where we are today, because we're moving in that direction. And I think we're starting to recognize the association between business and economics and public health policy and seeing it at a completely new level, which I think is going to be one of the biggest changes post-COVID-19. So still a lot going on. I think we're making progress. We're not all ready to go out to a baseball game yet. It's still about um, physical distancing. It's still about washing hands. Um, it's still about cleaning and dis disinfecting services, surfaces. But I said last week, I really think we can see a light at the tunnel, and I do think we're at that point, but we have to move carefully and deliberatively um, and use science to guide that. And it's going to be iterative. We're going to have some bumps some up and downs, but I think we're finally um, starting to bend that curve and talking about how do we start to resume some sense of normal. Here are the main points from Dr. White's comments 
for this week. Globally, the total number of cases are over 2.4 million with 166,000 deaths. In the U.S. alone, there have been 760,000 cases with over 40,000 deaths, half of which are in New York State. Important to note, though, that the definition of death has changed to now include probable causes due to coronavirus. Last Thursday, President Trump announced guidelines for a phased reopening of the U.S. economy. Final decisions will be left to governors and all states must follow regional and state gating criteria. This includes a continuation and downward trajectory in the number of confirmed cases in flu-like symptoms, hospital capacity to treat patients, and robust testing programs, including antibody testing for healthcare workers. Specifically, phase one of this includes recommendation to states and regions to reopen certain businesses and gyms. Strict social distancing is recommended and non-essential travel is discouraged. Note, certain elective surgeries will be allowed and telework is still encouraged. Phase two makes recommendations to states and regions with no evidence of a rebound in COVID-19. There is still a shelter in place for vulnerable populations. Schools can reopen and large venues and bars can operate with social distancing. Phase three is recommendations for states and regions that have shown no signs of a spike in cases. At this point, public interaction and visits to nursing homes are allowed. Bars and restaurants can expand and employers can resume unrestricted staffing. States have started to discuss reopening the economy and governors are coordinating regional policies, both on the east and west coast. Finally, Dr. White always likes to end with an optimistic tone. So he's optimistic as there has been tremendous progress in reducing the number of cases and flattening the curve while making progress on treatments. Also, people are starting to see the association between business, economics, and public policy, which will be one of the biggest changes post-COVID-19. This is Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and be well. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.